I was doing things, but I would never have said, I'm a writer. I just have written a couple things, you know, there's my literalness coming in. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today we are talking with author Jamie McGillan. She's the author of In Sight of the Mountain, a YA historic fiction. She teaches English composition at Highline College in Seattle. And her Instagram handle is north underscore off underscore something. Jamie's book is available on Amazon Unlimited. Please check it out. And without further ado, here's Jamie McGillan. Jamie McGillan, welcome to Living a Life Through Books podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So you wrote a book? Yes. <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this was a couple years ago. I wrote uh, Inside of the Mountain, and I took a couple years to actually um, do all of the final fact-checking and reviewing and editing and stuff because it's my first novel. So there was a lot to do after the actual writing, but yes, now it's finished. Excellent. So let's talk about that writing process. You said it was finished two years ago, correct? Yes. So let's backtrack as to when and how did you get the seed of the idea? Okay, so I have always been into poetry, and um, I went to a poetry festival in Tacoma, Washington, and it was at the Washington State History Museum, which is beautiful, gorgeous, kid-friendly, everything, but it was just sort of an event happening in the basement. So we had to walk in and like kind of check in, and I uh, saw this huge, like life-size, almost mural of Faye Fuller, who was the first woman that summited Mount Rainier. And she's standing there like with her alpenstock and she's just decked out. And I was like, that was just like, not even two centuries ago, you know? Um, right. And it just seemed so recent. She looked so recent. And, um, and then, you know, it said the date and I just, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, I want to, I mean, I didn't want to write her story, you know, because I'm not a faithful or expert. I'm not a historian, uh, but I just thought it would be really neat to write a story similar to hers because she was, you know, a school teacher. She was in her early twenties. And, um, and so just what would it be like to be a girl in Seattle and say, I want to climb that mountain and then try and do it. So that's kind of the, that was the inspiration. Okay. And then you thought, okay, I'm going to make this a book right? And then what happened? You came home and started writing or what was that like? I mean, like, or did you just think about it, let it simmer, get back to it? What, what happened after that picture? Well, I, I had been writing a lot of poetry and essays um, because that's kind of what I've always done, like since school, because I had a, um, I did an English creative writing degree and poetry was more of my focus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I um, had been swapping poems and small essays with some friends, with some writing friends. And, um, and my friend Claire, who is a very good friend of mine and a writing buddy, she said, hey, have you heard of NaNoWriMo? And I was like, no, I have not. Um, and she said, well, I'm going to write a novel this November. And I'd love it if you wanted to do it with me. And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. Um, but so we just started swapping. So she would send me like 10 pages of her novel that she was working on. And I would send her like 10 pages of poetry. And as I was reading hers, I just thought, this is so fun. Like it just, it's fun to read, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it looks like it'd be fun to write and maybe I, maybe I could try it, you know? And so I told her, yes, I will give it a try. And so, um, so we were still like about a month off until November. And so I was doing a bunch of research and like reading all these different books that um, were sort of written in the time, newspapers, all these things. And then I, um, and then I wrote about 50,000 words that November. Um, wow. And then, yeah. And then I finished it up a couple weeks later. So really the bulk of it was written in just about 
three or four months. And then, um, of course, I had not done as much of the research as I'd wanted to. So then I had to backtrack and do all the research and fix all the little things and kind of line things up plot-wise. So you wrote it. How many edits did you go through personally? Oh, gosh. Um, my edit, my main editor, <laughs> the one who um, was amazing, her name is Jamie Garbasic, but she, um, she told me to think of everything that I did before I started working with her as one draft, <laughs> even though it was absolutely not. I would have it saved as like version 22, you know, version oh, wow. 3, things like that. And I just change and change and change. It's just my first novel. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and so I just, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big planner. So I, the next time I write a novel, <laughs> I will have <laughs> everything planned out in advance, all the twists and turns, all the little like mysteries and stuff. Cause I like to have that kind of woven in. Mm -hmm. Um, but this time I didn't yet. I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And, um, so according to that, Jamie, um, <laughs> I had only had one version before her, but really there was about 20. Sure. And then, and then, um, we went through a developmental edit together and she was extremely helpful, invaluable. Okay. And then, um, and then I worked with a proofreader and final um, fact checker at the end, someone from Seattle who's a Seattle editor. Mm -hmm. And um, she helped me with some really like obvious things like, um, like Anna Karenina didn't come out in English until a certain date, you know? Oh, and wow, so I, okay. Yeah, I was like, that is interesting because like I knew the published date had been like, you know, before the setting of my book, but it wasn't translated into English. So I was like, okay, so that book needs to be in Russian. Correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then at the start, um, Greta was making chocolate chip cookies and those in fact weren't invented until the next century. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. Anna, what is it? Uh, uh, they call it an anachronism? Anachronism. An anachronism. Yeah. An yeah. Anachronism. <laughs> my accent on that's off. Yeah. Anachronism. Yes. Yeah. So I had a few of those in there and I just didn't even realize it. And then I actually, um, after it was published, I sent it to my former English teacher, Scott Melton. And he, um, he found a couple more, but, <laughs> but he didn't tell me what they were graciously. So they're very subtle, whatever. I think it was okay. more in the language that I used. Um, like I think the word weird or something like that just wasn't okay. Quite. So he's, he's very picky, but. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Anna didn't go to an internet cafe and research and Google how to climb a mountain. So you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Pretty, pretty accurate, as, but as good as I could do. No, it was, it was very, very good. Where do you find these people? Your developmental editor and your proofreader? Oh, there's, um, in Seattle, I live in Tacoma, and uh -huh. in Seattle, there's a really great, like, writing network and everything. There's a place called Hugo House in downtown Seattle, uh -huh. and they have just a bunch of editors and reviewers and things like that that you can contact and then you can work with them. So it's just up on their website. And I just was looking down at all the different possibilities and she was one of the more expensive ones, but I just, I just really felt a connection with like the past stuff that she'd worked on and that she was local. And, um, and it was a really good decision because, you know, we Jamie's have to stick together. Well, of course. Well, of course. Yes. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm looking for a Shanaz to stick together with, but <laughs> Let okay. me know if you find that. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay so um, did you ever try to get an agent and or try to traditionally publish? Yes. And I know you went with Amazon, so let's talk about that whole thing. Yeah. So originally I was kind of scared of the idea of doing all of that stuff myself, you know, the marketing and the, um, the formatting and everything. Um, and so I was just sending off to agents and <laughs> my big mistake was that I sent it off too early. Um, when it wasn't really the finished manuscript, like before I even started working with Jamie, I had sent it off like to 50 different agents. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. So big mistake there. And, um, 
And then after that, I was limited to about another maybe 50 or 60 that kind of worked in my genre. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after um, my editor had basically said, this has a really YA sound to it. Um, A lot of this, I mean, just like the the theme of agency and her age and, you know, sort of a coming of age kind of story. Um, And it would kind of go well with YA. So I thought, okay, let's embrace that. We'll, we'll make it YA. I made her about two years younger because I think originally she had been 19 going on 20. So now she was 17 going on 18. And then I uh, stamped myself as YA historical fiction. And oops, <laughs> at the time, that was not a very like popular genre. So about two years ago. Um, okay. so, I was, so once I had my whole manuscript done and it was just like exactly how I wanted it, um, I went to a conference here in mm-hmm. Seattle, um, PNWA, which is fantastic. Okay. And um, I met a bunch of agents and because you do like, it's kind of speed dating. You sit down with them and you have like a one minute pitch. And I was just like, my heart was racing, you know. Oh terrifying. my gosh. Uh, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, but every single person I talked to, except one, um, was extremely interested. And they were like, this sounds great. Send it to me, you know. Um, and so I did. And then I guess I just forgot to mention the YA part of it. And then they were like, ooh, I don't do YA. Um, or they would say, um, it's just YA historical fiction is a hard sell to publishers right now. So I can't take it. You know, they're like, I like it. I like the story. I read the whole thing. Here's some stuff, you know, here's some feedback, but it's just, it's not the right time for YA historical fiction. They're like, well, if you want to add a fantasy element, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I already wrote it. Like, I can't, I mean, I can't have the mountain talk to her. I mean, seriously, (laughs) come on. Yeah. I mean, I had one be like, you could just add like a light fantasy element. And I was just like, you know, I, it's not that I have this like artistic, oh my gosh, don't change my book, you know, because I mean, it's, it's changed so much since the very beginning. So I don't mind a little bit of change, but to just go off into fantasy, like I haven't even read much fantasy. Like I've read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know? Okay. <laughs> like, hey, that's a start. That is a start. A it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read some light fantasy, but I just, the world building and I, it just felt like starting over, you know? And so, um, this one agent in Seattle actually was super excited about it. And then, and it was just like almost to the very end of accepting it. And then just said, I'm so sorry. I have this other YA historical fiction that I've had for a year and I haven't been able to place it. And I'm afraid that if I take you on, you're going to be in the same situation that, you know, it'll be a year from now. And I tried my best and I just, I don't have the editor context for that. So I was like, why did I make this YA? Because <laughs> historical fiction is a whole different, you know. Right, so, but that was, that was actually one of my uh, thought process when I was reading this book is that I thought it was so cool that it was YA and historic fiction. Yeah. And uh, I was like, that's kind of um, unique. It's unusual. It did hit me as unique and unusual. Right. But then I started thinking about, wait, why is, why is it? Why do you think it is unique and unusual? Why do you think there is, there isn't much YA historic fiction? Right. Because publishers don't want it. <laughs> why not? I mean, like that, I don't understand. Like, I really don't understand the um, philosophy behind it. Because if anything, you're trying to get young people to read. Right. Why not have them read historic fiction? Why not teach them history through books? So I just, you're right. I was thinking about it a lot that YA historic fiction, are there many YA historic fictions? No, there's a lot that have the fantasy element. Like there's just like a small, you know, fantasy aspect or there's like a time travel thing happening. Um, There's there's a lot of those and those are like uh, mainstream kind of, popularity but really it's just the YA contemporary is okay is more, or the fantasy um historical is just you know I found my audience to be mostly um women mm-hmm. uh, 50s and above <laughs> really love it. yes and so um I mean honestly my cover is marketed towards historical fiction book club type women that's uh-huh. how I like worked with the um the designer on it specifically I wanted it to have this look this certain way and she was very patient with me with all the revisions <laughs> and um and so I I feel like in a way that is attracting that kind of reader mm-hmm. um 
But also, I feel like many adults like reading YA um, because it's just a little simpler um, and easier. It's something you can kind of breeze through. There's not pages and pages of description of what the forest looks like. Right. You know, there's not in-depth explanation on why women did get the vote and then it got taken away. I mean, I hinted that, I mentioned it a couple of times, but there's sure. not a history lesson in there. And you kind of expect that in historical fiction because, you know, you're wanting to learn something. But sure. um, so I feel like mine comes off as kind of a, a quick read, even though it's kind of long. And, um, and it has a lot of those elements that women like. We like coming of age stories. We like Little House on the Prairie, Frontier mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you sure. know, so... Um, yeah, so it's, it's a weird, um, kind of towing the line with the YA and just historical fiction. So, I mean, it is both. And so I market it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. but lots of different kind of readers, I think have enjoyed it. Right. Yeah. Because the other thing, when you do YA, I felt the, um, it wasn't as emotionally draining. Oh yeah. It's not like oh my God, I'm going to like, every single sentence is ripping your heart to shreds. For yeah. example, oh my God, I don't um, have the book on me. Uh, her friend, her best friend, the prostitute. Yeah, June. June, June, thank you. June, her story. Yeah. You know, if if it wasn't YA, that story would have been heart-wrenching. Yeah. I mean, every time she got beaten up by her dad, And all those bruises and her inability to walk and all of that would have been highlighted. Yeah. And this one was very, I loved it. You were like, oh, June's a prostitute. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) It was just very like, matter of fact, that's what she is. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So in Seattle um, at that time, it was... I think, uh, I don't know the exact set. I want to say it was one in four women were prostitutes. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I wanted that to be represented. I wanted, I wanted there to be lots of representation in the novel, you know, from what was actually happening there at the time. You know, I wanted the Duwamish people there, but I wanted it to actually show what it was like. I wanted to have, you know, an African-American person there, but also it's just people weren't that prejudiced against African-Americans here at that time yet um, Mm -hmm. because they were just so focused on hating um, the native population. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really interesting and different than, you know, what was going on on the other side of the country. So we have, um, we have Oscar talk about, you know, oh, there was this man that sold, you know, his shop, it got burned down and he went and just paid the guy all the money. Isn't that cool? And, um, and of course he's talking about an African-American and that actually happened. And he has no prejudice against this person because, because he's not threatened, you know, there uh-huh. was only like three or four in the whole city. So that's uh-huh. not thing. And they were, you know, just kind of blending in with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, that native population, they were just ruining everything, you know, even though they were their first. <laughs> right. That, I did not know that. So that was eye-opening for me. I was like, why do you hate them so much? What did they do? Right. Yes. It's a question we all wonder, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I think I think that the Duwamish in particular kind of had it really bad and they still do because they um, still aren't recognized as like nationally. And so they don't get any funding. They don't get any sort of support or place in that um, in that sphere Um, but they also, they were kind of the peacemakers like chief Seattle, um, when Mm -hmm. first started coming and the tribes that were more the problem, um, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So the, the tribes that were starting a lot of fights, they were given a lot more, um, money opportunities, doctors, things like that to stay away, (laughs) go away from us. Here's a bunch of money and land and just go. But the Duwamish were just like, Oh, we trust you. It's cool. And of course the government took advantage of that and never did give them what they promised and still haven't. And, um, it's really pretty sad. So I, I was really careful with how I portrayed them, especially because there was sort of a violent incident. Um, and, um, I was able to, um, meet with, um, Cecilia Hansen, who is the chairperson for the Duwamish tribe, and she is uh-huh. wonderful. And um, she took a look at the um, at the book just because I wanted her to make sure that there was nothing, um, you know, that was going to be offensive or anything. Uh-huh. So, 
And she gave me, and two years ago, like mm-hmm. before I even started, I had asked her a few questions like, um, how, what were marriages like for the Duwamish? How did they bury dead people? Like just stuff I couldn't find in the history books. Oh, and wow. She, so she would give me some, I mean, she didn't know all of those answers, but she knew, she knew a lot of them. So it was really helpful. Where did the Duwamish come into this picture in when you were thinking about the book? Did you always know that the Duwamish was part of this book or did your research bring it up? Like you were looking up something and then you came upon them and you decided to add that? Well, I, I really like diversity and okay. I really like um, inclusion. So um, I just, I wanted it to represent exactly what was going on there at that time. I wanted a prostitute there, you know, I wanted a Duwamish person, at least a couple, they were going to uh-huh. be there. I wanted an African-American person. It, it was actually a historical person that was there, you know, and whether that shocks people, the prostitute thing or not, it's like, well, that's just how it was. You know, you can look down on it, but I mean, you weren't there, you know? Um, and so with the Duwamish, I wanted it to be specifically the people that were in downtown Seattle at that time, you know? So it would have been much easier to go with a more popular tribe, like from the area, like a lot of the Salish tribes, we know so much about them and they're still really active and, you know, mm-hmm. you go to events and they have all this stuff, but, um, Duwamish, they're a little more, um, I guess, private, not as much research done on them. So, but I was like, well, that's the actual, (laughs) those were the actual people there. So that's what I'll have. Okay. Earlier on, you'd mentioned about Faye being the first woman. Yes. To have scaled the mountain. Yeah. And you said, well, I just didn't want to write her story. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) I I mean, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could have, um, I could have done some research, I guess, contacted her family that is still alive, see what has maybe been written about her. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, in a way I just, I kind of had my own story that I wanted to write and I felt like I didn't want to rewrite this I didn't want to rewrite her life in a totally fictional way. And I know that people do that. I know that's a thing, you Mm -hmm. know, um, they just take completely unknown people and they like create this extravagant life that didn't actually happen, but Hey, it's historical. I feel like I've learned something and it's like, no, all that stuff was made up. It was just based on this character. So I'm a really, um, like, I like things to be, uh, what am I looking for? Um, not by the book, but literal. I take things literally. Okay. <laughs> so I could never, I just, I wouldn't, I would never feel comfortable doing that, you know, because that's not her story. Okay. <laughs> that's just me being weird, I guess. Um, no, it's fine. Yeah. It, it's yeah. totally fine. I met someone in an airport. She was a manager of a bookstore. And she said, I don't believe in historic fiction at all. Oh, I mean, her her whole thing was, I do not believe in the category historic fiction. You either have history or you have fiction. I was like, well, it's based on history, but it's some elements are fictional. She goes, then it's fiction. Right. Yeah. It's not, she, for her, it was like history or fiction. She's like, this whole historic fiction is total BS was what her claim was. I love historic fiction because I, yeah, because I, I like history and then the rest of it, you build around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I really feel the pain of that bookstore owner. Um, That's definitely something that I struggle with, with, um, with reading and with writing because I want to um, I have a pretty good memory. And so I'll remember these little facts about these characters that I read about. And then, you know, if you try to bring it up later, people are like, that's not true. I was like, what well, was in the book I read? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> you, know? you know, cause it's just like, you expect it to be true. I've been reading historical fiction since, you know, like middle school and uh-huh. you, you expect it to be true and it's just loosely based. So I don't know. So I'm kind of on that side of, I'd rather just have cameos of real historical people like Faye mm-hmm. Fuller does make her appearance. You know, she comes in and I sure. try to be accurate as I can based on what I knew. And, um, and that's it. <laughs> okay. That's, that's really, really exciting. What was your, um, 
childhood like as far as reading and writing and your relationship with books when you were a kid? Yeah, um, well, I have um, a lot of memories of the library, <laughs> love libraries so much, um, and my grandma was a librarian, and um, actually the book is dedicated to my grandma and grandpa, who always sent me books, um, and and I love that, and oh. I actually have this book right here by my desk, um, it was given to me for my fourth birthday, and it says... For Jamie on her fourth birthday from Grandma and Grandpa Pavitt, so you'll always remember that your roots are in Alaska. And oh, uh, yeah, and, and it's just this like Northern Alphabet book by a you know local author in Alaska. And, oh wow, uh, yeah, and I and that's part of the dedication is that you know my roots are in Alaska, and and my grandpa was a poet, and he was a singer and a songwriter for um, folk festival, folk music, and stuff in Alaska. So. Um, he died when I was pretty young though. Um, I think I was maybe 10 or 11. So, um, but my grandma is extremely healthy and she has read my book like three times before it was published. Oh, (laughs) yay. The best. Yeah. Um, she helped me with some of the anachronisms as well. And, um, so anyway, yeah, that was kind of my, my start to, um, to reading was a lot of book gifts and they gave me, um, a book of poetry for children that mm-hmm. have inspired the poem that I wrote that was published in Thank You, Poems of Gratitude, which came out um, actually the same month as my novel um, that was a traditionally published compilation. So everything kind of, yes, stems from that childhood you know, experience. And then as I got older, I would read my mom's library books that were all historical fiction. Uh-huh. And- it was something that like she would have already read. So she knew it was appropriate for like a 12 year old. <laughs> um, so that yes. was great. And she took us to the library and she, I mean, she studied early childhood education. Uh-huh. So she was, you know, very adamant about reading and just loved it herself. So it was a really good introduction into the world of reading. And when did Jamie think that I am going to be a writer someday? When, when was that? When did that happen? Oh, that took a long time. The confidence for that statement. I, think, <laughs> I feel like you have to be in your mid thirties before you can <laughs> dish that out. Um, so I, uh, my bachelor's degree was in English creative writing and okay. I and had a few little poems published and, um, and I recorded one as an audio version. So it was, um, I'm always doing things, but I would never have said, I'm a writer. I just have written a couple things, you know, there's my literalness coming in. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then I worked as a technical writer for, um, a few years. Um, and then I went back to school and got my master's in English. So at that point, I felt a little more confident in my writing. And um, right after I finished that degree, I had my daughter. So, um, and actually what made a lot of my writing possible was that I was staying home with her because we were, um, we moved like twice in two years. It was just crazy. So I wasn't trying to, you know, just get jobs. I was just like, I'm just staying home with my baby. Uh-huh. And she would take these luxurious three hour naps. Uh, just, one, just one, even when she was like 11 months old, she just started this and she would just conk out for three hours. And it was That's guaranteed. Awesome. I know like it's so rare. My son never did that. Um, and, and so I would just, I knew I had these three hours in my life that I could do anything I wanted. So I was not going to be doing dishes or laundry or anything. You know, I was uh-huh. like, I would put her to bed and I would run downstairs and I would start the clock and I would just see how much word count I could get in, you know, and with three quiet hours a day, I mean, a lot can be done. (laughs) So how many words do you think you can get in three hours? Um, I write pretty well about a thousand, um, words per hour. That's where, um, I haven't gone back and fixed all the typos. Sure, Um, sure. It's a slow enough pace for me that I can, um, really, really um get down what I want without going back and reading it and being like this doesn't make any sense so I can mm-hmm. write faster than that uh, especially if it's dialogue you know but typically I average about a, 1,000 to 1,200 an hour so yeah I get about 3,000 words done every day and that adds up really quickly <laughs> oh yeah that's yeah. that is super cool yeah so now your book has an audio yes Yes. So exciting. So this process started 
um, in, gosh, I think it was October or November. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> I started working um, with ACX Audible and, um, you know, you go and you look for a narrator and they audition and stuff like that. So um, I really, really loved Sarah Brands and I'm so glad that it ended up working out with her. And um, she actually ended up taking, I think, two projects on at the same time. So um, I was the second one. So I had to wait a little bit until she was finished. Um, but then once we got it, it was just, it was amazing. And she was like texting me, how do you pronounce this? You know, what do you think for this? And, um, and then she would send me some snippets and then finally we got everything finished. And then, um, ACX took what felt like forever (laughs) to review it. Okay. Uh, so as they do, but right now, I guess it's taking a really long time for some reason. So um, luckily we didn't have any pushback. They didn't have any problems with any of the the sound. I think she did a lot of the um, audio editing herself. She had um, one other person helping her, but she learned a lot of that. So it sounds fantastic. It was kind of like torture to have to listen to my own book in detail every sound and second, because I'm one of those people that... I keep wanting to change things. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> with the ear of there is nothing you can do. <laughs> right. If you decide you need more description here, or if this should have come later in the story, that it's done. <laughs> uh-huh. you know? So that was really difficult for me. Um, I know a lot of authors feel that way, but, um, I almost would have liked to hire that out, but I knew that I needed to do it. I needed to listen to it myself, you know, every, every sound and every word. And I did. And, um, yeah. Once I got into the hang of it though, it was more fun. And I tried to just listen to it like a story rather than an editor. <laughs> so okay. yeah. ACX, what does that stand for? Um, I don't know. It's audible. Okay. Um, it's part of Amazon. Yes. Yeah. So Amazon owns audible now and yeah. ACX is the platform that you, um, that you use to create the audiobooks that then get sold on audible. Okay. Let's talk, uh, Amazon. Because yeah. here's the thing, my readers don't know this. I mean, my readers, my listeners, good, <laughs> good, good grief. My listeners don't know this, but you actually paid to send me your book. Like you had to buy your own book yeah. to send me a copy, which I still, I don't get it. I'm still like I'm, I'm still processing. I, I can't process. Like every time I think about it, my brain goes, does not compute. Right. So that has to do with the fact that my book is in Kindle Unlimited, um, which is kind of a service that you can, um, it's, I have it on my Kindle so I can just check out books and read them for free, but you pay a monthly fee. I can't remember. I think it's $10 or $12. I think it is. I think it is $10 a month. At least yeah. last I looked, it was $10 a month, but so, so because it's in Kindle Unlimited, um, I can't give it away for free on any platform. I can't um, send like the PDF copy of it. Um, and really, I could have. I could have just sent you one, and Amazon would have never known. But I'm a stickler. Okay, it's a <laughs> so, legal thing. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I certainly could have, and no one would have known. But, um, but I, I just, I don't mind doing that, you know. And I still get. Um, I still get my royalty on that book that I sent to you. So really it only cost me like a dollar to send to you because I got like, you know, the royalty back. So, um, but yeah, it is like, if I would have sent you a paperback, um, that would have been different because I purchased those wholesale through Amazon. And then I like, if people order them off my website, um, Mm -hmm. and I mail those out. So it's just, it's all different. And then with audible, it's so interesting. They give out, a hundred free audible code downloads with the idea that they want you to go and get honest reviews. And that is a really different way to do it than Amazon, which is funny because Amazon owns them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, so I have all these free audible codes, um, and my narrator has some too. And depending on how many you've sold, you can get more back. So here I am, you know, able to hand out these free copies where I have to buy the Kindle copy on Amazon. So it just, it's all a learning process. So with the Audible code, mm-hmm. how does that work? Like, let's say you sent me the Audible code instead. Would that mean I have to sign up for Audible? Is that a way for Amazon to get people to sign up for Audible? And does that uh, go into my two free books when I sign up for Audible? You know, anyone who signs up first time, they get two free books. Right. Now, if you sent me an Audible code for a free book, 
does that go into that or how does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. That's something I've been kind of working out over the last week with a lot of the Instagram book reviewers that I've been uh-huh. sending to. Um, they, so you, there's this website on ACX that you can go to. It's like ACX promo something or other. And uh-huh. then you um, can redeem your book that way and it'll come into your account. But yes, you do have to have an Audible account. You need to have a billing um, address set up and, um, but they won't bill you, but you just have to have one set up. And so you do have to have an audible account, but not like a paying account. And there's a couple other weird rules. Um, you can only get one free redemption code. You can't get multiple. So like if you were an audible member and I send it to you, you, I think wouldn't be able to get another audible code from a different author for free. Um, Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So it so is part of that first cool. two, first two audible free books. It's sort of like that. Well, it is. It's like that. But, um, so with the two free books you get, you get one audible original book and then you get one audible book, just whatever you want. That's an audible, um, okay. but that doesn't count against that actually. Um, oh. if you have to redeem code. Yeah. So that would, and I've been telling some of the Instagram people, they're like, Oh, I have to set up an audible account. And I'm like, well, don't use your free book for mine. <laughs> I'll give you the code. And then you get your own free book and then free audible original. If you choose to start like the, the trial, um, but you don't have to. So. Okay. So I just want to double check. You don't have to do the trial, the audible trial, but you do sign up for audible. Yes. And you get the code and yep. then you get the book. Mm-hmm. And then if you actually start an audible trial, you'll still get those two books. Yes. Yeah. Complicated. It is. And it's all just, you know, you have to read the, the frequently asked questions. And then, you know, some of the, the Instagram uh, bookstagrammers as you know. Right. Well, um, yeah. They're really helpful. So like, I will just send a message to one and say, Hey, this other person is having trouble. And they're like, Oh, have them go to this site. And then, you know, <laughs> this right. is what for me and then it worked. So, um, so that's been really nice. Yeah. I uh, recently got um, a couple of free books through Libro FM. Oh, okay. And I'm not, I mean, I have an account with them, but I'm not a paid subscriber. Exactly. And when yep. someone gave me a couple of codes, to put in, I got free books on there. So I guess it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. Definitely. And, and I think there's different platforms for the audiobooks, And mm-hmm. I, I really dislike that my audiobook isn't available in libraries because I love having it available that way. Um, but my book is available as a paperback in libraries. So, um, okay. Many of the um, local libraries have it, and anyone can request it at their local library. So I feel good about that. And um, but just for now, Audible seems like the best way for me to go mm-hmm. about doing it. Then it's available on, you know, it's on Amazon, it's on iTunes, um, books, and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it just seems like it had a far reach. Why can it not be in a library? Sorry, dumb question, but well, yeah, I mean, it's the same with the Kindle Unlimited. I can't have. Okay. Uh, I can't have my book in the library. It can't be free anywhere. Um, And so just the fact that I've partnered with Audible um, for this, it can't be in libraries. So if you, um, if you work with a different, uh, what's the other one called? Um, Findaway Voices, I think is another option that authors can use. And then you can kind of distribute it however you want. But yeah, Audible is very proprietary as is Amazon. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yes. Yeah. So how is the book faring on Amazon? How how do you feel? What were your goals when you did the book? And uh, are you happy with it? Are you kind of like, well, it is what it is or you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, so originally I wanted to sell a thousand copies the first year, Uh um, but I was able to do that actually in a couple months. And so that, yes, that was really encouraging um, between, because I think I think the key that's been working well for me is that I'm selling it in so many different ways. Like I sell it on my website, sign paperback. Mm-hmm. That's a, typically that's just friends and family or book club people who just like looked up my website. And then there's um, a local produce stand that's about a mile from my house that okay. is literally in sight of the mountain, has the best, most gorgeous view of Mount Rainier. And, um, and I just approached the owner, Dave, and um, asked him if he wanted to have my book there. And 
he was like, sure, why not? He had just bought the place from the previous owners. And so he not only sold the book there, but he like features it at the checkout. <laughs> like it's like on display and I have like postcards and bookmarks and stuff there. And they sell almost 10 books a month there in wow. person. They're like these signed copies. And so now I put the date on them. So I'm like, well, I know he's going to sell them this week or next. So I just go out there to get some produce and drop off some books. And, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to sell because it's not competing against other books, you know, right. People who are there to get groceries and they're like, Oh, historical fiction book that has a mountain. I love that. Um, so it's definitely a local popular, you know, place. So, um, and then I've done a couple in-person events where, you know, like a holiday market over Christmas, which mm-hmm. is great. You know, I think I sold 25 books there in a few hours and just really excited people, people in book clubs and they got to meet me and it was just really fun. Um, so I think just having all the different platforms and ways to sell, um, I think that helps a lot because if it was just Amazon, like if I was just selling Kindle, copies, you know, it would kind of get discouraging because the only way you could do that is by advertising. Um, Otherwise your book won't show up in anyone's searches. So you just have to pay to advertise and then, then you get paid. So it's like, you never actually make any money. (laughs) You just advertise, sell, advertise, sell. Um, Unless you have a series, of course, and you can, you know, Uh, but since I just have the one book, it really doesn't make sense to do too much crazy advertising. So I do continue to advertise, um, on Amazon and sometimes on Facebook and, um, and I just sort of have a steady stream coming in and I'll get, you know, the money from Amazon and then I'll go order more print books. And then I just kind of keep it going from that, you know, that batch. And hopefully I can just keep doing this for a while. So this is pretty much now your full-time job. No, no, I am a, um, I'm a college English teacher. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I teach English here at, um, at a local community college and that is my full-time job, but I, um, but book marketing is definitely my, my hobby. It's my, it's my passion project, you know? Um, and I don't mind the fact that it is sort of this passion project. I don't necessarily mind when I'm not making money on stuff, sure. you know, I don't mind sending it out to, you know, books to grammars or connecting with people or podcast people and be like, sure, I'll send you a book for free. Like, it's fine. I'm not going to make money off of it, but maybe I will and maybe I won't. But either way, I just, I would love for you to read it, you know, and I'd love for you to share it with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, I read, I forget which podcast, I think I was listening to a podcast and it said, um, your first 10,000 books is all you have to sell. And after that, it sells itself because so many people, if your audience is correct and the people that have read it, enjoyed it, they will recommend it to other people. And at that scale at 10,000, it's, you know, keeps going. So I haven't counted recently, but I'm probably around like 2000. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 8,000 more. I know. I know. I just got to keep going till I hit that 10,000. And then it just keeps you know, this person recommends it to their book club, this person recommends it, or they just give their copy to a local library, things like that, you know? Um, so yeah, so I just have, you know, a couple more years and then hopefully by then I'll have a sequel. So (laughs) there you go. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I have a book club and I was kind of like debating, but what I do is if I'm interviewing the author on my podcast, then I don't double dip and do (laughs) a, because my book club's also recorded yeah. So then it kind of, I have to think about this. I'm going, oh, I want to do it for the book club, but I want to interview the author. So I kind of balance <laughs> that. But um, that's uh, really great. Tell me, tell me one really good thing that happened from you writing the book and one really bad thing that happened from you writing the book. Ooh, interesting question. Um, let's see. I think one bad thing that happened is that, um, I started getting uh, very stressed. Um, so it, the timing was very poor. I was pitching to agents at the same time that I was going back to work for the first time since having my daughter. So Mm -hmm. I was starting to work full time teaching three classes for fall quarter. And, you know, a week before that I was pitching to agents and I was still editing and had so much more editing to do. And it just all came to this head. And I was very, very anxious and stressed. And it was just such a happy time. Like good things were happening for me and I was excited and it was fun, but 
your heart doesn't know that, you know, it's just like constant heart palpitations and stress and stuff like that. So it kind of, it's something I've been dealing with for about the last year, um, just having these heart palpitations and extra stress that I've just kind of, I actually stopped writing about six months or nine months ago because I need to kind of take a step back from that, Mm -hmm. focus on my classes for now. Um, This summer though, I'm not going to be teaching any classes. I've been, I think teaching seven quarters straight since that fall in 2018, like including the summer. So this Mm -hmm. summer I'm not going to be teaching at all. So I think I I will have the bandwidth and the peace to be able to start writing again. That's awesome. Yeah. So that would be, I guess, the negative because <laughs> everything either happens all at once or you just wait forever, right? Right, of course. That's how life is. So um, let's see, so many good things. Uh, let me try and pick one. I've just had a lot of people that um, I think without kind of going into um, ruining anyone's privacy, um, but I've had a couple people tell me that they were going through really hard times and um, like very, very difficult personal times. And they were able to use my book kind of as an escape. And it was just something that they were able to escape um, the reality that was kind of unbearable. And they were able to just read it and enjoy it. And it just kind of lifted them up and it gave them mm-hmm. somewhere to go and something to do. And that just meant so much to me, especially when it was somebody that, you know, that I know personally. And, it, you know, I love to hear that with anybody. But if it's somebody that I know, I just think, gosh, I love that, you know. Oh, that, so. that, is, that is absolutely beautiful. What is your experience like with the bookstagram? Bookstagram. Um, so I was, I've been such a like Twitter person for the last couple of years okay. and, and I love Twitter, but, um, but it's very, I don't know, everyone for themselves. <laughs> it kind of seems sometimes. And so um, with Instagram, I feel like there's a lot more of a personal connection. I feel like with the stories and mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's, you know, I can post a picture of my kids and I'm not going to have, you know, people post weird things, <laughs> you know, okay. uh-huh. um, and, uh, when you connect with people, it, they're just very helpful and nice, especially like, you know, bookstagram people and people that review books and like, if uh-huh. you do it away, I just, everyone has been very, very nice and friendly mm-hmm. and welcoming. And it just feels like a, a warm community. Final question. Yes. And I asked this of all my authors. If you've heard my podcast, you already know. <laughs> Top five favorite books of all time. Oh, in a way that's so easy, but it's also so hard. Okay, so Anna Karenina is, um, I would say, my favorite book ever. I read it in high school, um, and then I read it again um, in my graduate program, and it was two totally different experiences because, um, you know, I was 17 when I read it, and then I was uh, 32, mm-hmm. I think, and, um, you know, I had never really been in love at 17, um, and... Uh, I just, I loved the character of Anna and I was just like, oh my gosh, she is, you know, just the best, the coolest. And she just, you know, she follows love and she just has to have that love, you know. And really? Then, okay. I did not like her, but go ahead. <laughs> so then reading it at 32, <laughs> it was more of like, she has a child. <laughs> she married. Like, what is she even doing? Right. Uh, yeah. And I was like, that guy's not even that great. It's just like, <laughs> um, your choices are terrible. And then I, um, actually my part of my thesis, my master's thesis was about, um, that, uh, she's actually kind of a sociopath <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous road to go down to start sure. to, um, you know, try to treat characters as if they were real or diagnose them because well, they're yeah. real in fact, but, um, but yeah, she, she would definitely be a sociopath. So, um, so just interesting experiences reading it. So I had to have that book in my, you know, in my okay. story. Before you go to the four, I'm, I have to tell you an Anna Karenina story. Yeah. My uh, niece, she's 21. She just read it for the first time. Well, when she was halfway through it, she was in college. She's in college. And she calls me one day. She goes, auntie, my professor in college, we were taught she was talking. And then he said, Anna falls and dies on the train. He, it was a spoiler. Why did he do that? That is a terrible spoiler. (laughs) Like, It was, yeah, but I just had to add that. It was just the cutest thing, but okay. 
No fun. But did she fall? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess not a hundred percent spoiler. So uh, that's awesome. Yes, lots of opinions with Anna Karenina for sure. Um, okay, so let's see. I um, I would honestly have to say that poetry book from when I was like two years old. Um, it's poems to read to the very young. I think. Okay. Is- title. Um, I have a copy. It's published in um, same year I was born, 1982. And um, I just, I love it. You know, I have mm-hmm. kids and I can read it to them. And yes, I would call okay. that one of my books. Um, oh, goodness. I really liked the book, Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Have you read that? I have not. I have not. It's really good. Um, it's, it adds a lot of elements, I think, to um, like World War II fiction that I hadn't mm-hmm. read before. And I just, I really liked that. Um, so that was good. I really liked the book Honolulu. Um, I read that in my book club in Hawaii. Okay. Um, and that has a lot of um, really difficult situations, um, but it just really kind of portrayed what was happening um, when Honolulu was first kind of getting established and working with the local population, which might have inspired some of my, you know, desire to have that with my uh-huh. Yeah. And one more you, that you've done before. Um, let's see, I guess I would have to say, um, Little House on the Prairie. Okay. Uh, that was okay. a really good one. Um, well, I guess not, I guess that's the name of the series and they all have the different books. Um, sure. but I would, I guess it would be, um, it would have been the first one I read. I'm not even sure. Um, not Farmer Boy, but, um, uh, Little House in the Big Woods. I think that might be the okay. title. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. The, the like pioneer fiction. I like that a lot. Okay, very good. I believe it or not. Well, surprise, surprise. I haven't read Little House on the Prairie. Oh, really? Have you seen I the show? No, I have not. I have not. I know everybody talks about it, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's so great." Or even um. Anne of the Green Gables. Oh, yeah. I haven't even done that. And I'm just kind of like, what is wrong with me? I, oh, okay. <laughs> like, but I'm so behind yeah. on these things. There's a great graphic novel of Anne of Green Gables and my son read it. Um, I think he read it in like a day and a half. So it's just, if you want to be familiar with that story and read it, I think it's kind of a, maybe abridged a little bit, but that would be a fun, I love graphic novels. So Okay, very, very good. So uh, I just want to say, Thank you so much for coming on my show. It's been wonderful talking to you. Yes, you too. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode. As always, please share this podcast with your family and friends. If you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please consider writing me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can reach me through livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com dot com would love to hear from you the starting and ending music for this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband brad slavic that's it for now i'm dr shanaz ahmed with living a life through books signing off remember to water the seeds within you it's time <laughs>